Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. Together, we can remix all the tapes in the unconscious programming that usually triggers us into reactivity and maybe find a new perspective that allows us to live life on life's terms with a measure of emotional sobriety. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform, rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, or share it with friends. If you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a small monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. Today, I started my morning with a cup of their Wonderland Organic Coffee Blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. So I want to begin this episode with a little story time. Back in 2013, I was living in Los Angeles when my friend David from New York called me up because he was going to be in LA on business for a few days. We met up for dinner on Sunset, and he started telling me about what he had done the night before in L.A. Apparently, he had gone to Harry Dean Stanton's house in the hills with a few other pretty famous actors, and they just played music outside all night. And he said that he didn't invite me because he was worried that I would think it was boring, which is something I'm still deeply upset about to this day because I would have absolutely loved it. But then he told me that after a beautiful evening, playing music, being outside, hearing stories, just relaxing and hanging out, Harry Dean Stanton walked him out, clasped his hands, looked him in the eye, and said, do nothing and rest afterward. My friend David was in shock, and he was still kind of rocked by what Harry Dean Stanton had said and how he had said it when we met up for dinner the next night. And at the time, I was the director of a nonprofit in the middle of a massive expansion. I was also writing grants on the side for money. I was in the middle of refinancing my home. And I was also scrambling to figure out how to make up for the financial losses that my family and I had experienced while losing a home in a natural disaster. So I say all that to say that my life was very full on. I was probably awake 20 hours a day. I had way too much on my plate and I was always on the go. So when I heard the words, do nothing and rest afterward, I was just sort of wide-eyed and in awe. (laughs) It was like a, a unicorn was talking and rainbows were coming out of their mouths. It just had never occurred to me that this was an option. 
And I remember that one of my first thoughts was, can I really do that? And my second thought was probably, am I allowed to do that? It was like one of those moments when someone suggests something that you're sure is gently illegal, and yet it sounds appealing to you. (laughs) But you pause and you're like, are you sure we are allowed to do that? Well, that's what we're talking about in this episode today. Rest, relaxation, recreation, and restoration. So let's begin with rest and relaxation. I recently read a quote on Instagram by an account called The Nap Ministry, and I've mentioned them on this podcast before. They have amazing content. They're doing beautiful work. And they said, Your resistance to rest is a spiritual issue. You believe it is unproductive because it seems like nothing is happening. Healing is happening. And I also read another post of theirs where they said, naps help you wake up. And I think that the reason both of these posts resonated with me so much is that they reveal some inconvenient truths that we are so programmed to ignore for the benefit of a system and relationships and dynamics that thrive on us being tired and depleted and worn down. You know, we live in a culture that offers us pre-packaged versions of what rest and relaxation can look like, almost as if we're standing at the register in a fast food place and ordering a combo meal by numbers except what we're ordering is going to directly affect our nervous system, our relationships, our ability to show up for our families, for our friends, how we work, how we enjoy life, how we feel about ourselves. And so the stakes are much higher. I'd like to invite you to take a moment to witness your own thoughts, feelings, and programming around rest and relaxation. Maybe even think about what is most restful and relaxing to you. And think about it without any self-consciousness if you can. Because I know that even when I think about rest and relaxation, I immediately become self-conscious. You know, as we're doing this and we're thinking about what works for us, we don't have to look cool or interesting, or cultured, or evolved. We just have to be honest and drop into the truth. So what is most restful and relaxing to you? And now think, do you ever experience any shame around how much rest you need? Or shame around what exactly relaxes you? Do you feel comfortable resting and relaxing in front of other people? Or are you worried what they're going to think about you? Or how you look? Or how you come across? Or what they think about the person you are or what you can accomplish, you know? Are we overwhelmed by these thoughts when we're actually really in need of rest? And how do you hold yourself accountable for rest and relaxation? Almost the same way we would hold ourselves accountable for 
any kind of self-care regulation. You know, we pay our bills every month. We eat every day. We do all of these things on a schedule. But are we doing that with rest and relaxation? Or is it something that we think is an afterthought? Like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll get to that later. Or I can only implement that into my life when everything else is broken down and I'm a complete mess and I literally can't keep my eyes open. Then I'm allowed to rest. Do we secretly believe that we can only rest after we have earned it by burning our energy for something or someone else? Sort of turning our power over to a system or a person to regulate our needs. Are we only allowed to relax based on someone else's schedule? And do we feel as if we have to ask someone's permission in order to carve out that time to rest and relax? Now, just take a quick scan on LinkedIn or social media the last few years And you still see those like hustle culture or grind culture posts that just seem so odd and so out of place in a world where reality says you can lose your job in a moment's notice and have your life and livelihood and health insurance ripped away from you without consequence or warning. One thing I've always spoken about in workplaces to people who worked with me or worked for me is take your sick days and take them for emotional health just as much as you would for physical health. And I know that even as I'm saying that out loud, that I've always personally struggled with it. And don't even get me started on when I've had like three jobs and taking a day off meant scheduling that with three different places of employment and finding someone to cover and dealing with the fact that your health and wellness is profoundly inconvenient to people who benefit from you existing like a machine. So as I'm saying, take your sick days. I I know that it's much easier said than done, but we have to start saying it, right? Now, another thing that you see on LinkedIn is everyone's very emotional shares about what understanding and benevolent employers they are. And while that's a lovely message to send, actions are what really convey the most profound messages. We are less than the actions we take, right? So as I see people posting about all of this, I wonder about the culture in their workspaces. I've worked in wellness spaces that, I mean, they were on the verge of firing you if you took a moment off or a day off or needed to do anything to regulate after really stressful experiences at work. It was, what's wrong with you? Why can't you keep up? Can't you see what everyone else is doing? Everyone else is fine. You are the problem. Now, I've never really believed that, but when you hear it all the time, and some of you might relate in your own workspaces, it can really wear on you. And you feel as if you are not allowed to pause, to take a break, to recalibrate, or rest. One way around this is something that I think is really important, and that's doing quarterly check-ins with the people you work with around taking time off. 
the same way that you would do a check-in about productivity or sales or skill building, checking in with people about how they're taking that time off and when they're taking that time off, not to intrude on their lives, but to create a work culture that prioritizes and encourages rest and relaxation. And I don't want to get caught up in this idea that, you know, rest and relaxation is only important to talk about in workspaces in order to increase productivity. I think it's about shifting our perspective and reminding ourselves that we're not machines. We're not hiring machines. We are hiring complex human beings. And I think I immediately brought up how we respond and talk about this in workspaces because the fact is we spend most of our time at work, sadly, Um, you know, if we're working a full-time job, sometimes that's 10 hours a day in an office or in a work setting. So what we do during those 10 hours, whether we want to believe it or not, affects our habits in our own downtime. So creating work cultures and supporting people in their efforts to take care of themselves and to rest and to relax is really important. Again, it's not just, you know, people are machines and they show up to do this job. I guess you could think that way. It feels very early 1980s. It's about how do we spend our days? What are we doing with each other? How are we treating each other? What messages are we sending to each other? And what do I want to be known for? How do I want people to leave my workplace? Do I want them to burn out to give me all they have to just churn and burn and I'll find someone else? I've worked in places where somebody would walk up and down the hallways saying, every single person here is replaceable. I could replace you in minutes. Someone would poke their head into my office and tell me that. And I think about what that felt like and what that culture was like and what that did to me in my time off and how it still affects how I think about that place. And I wasn't alone. Every single person who worked there was burnt out, resentful, didn't want to participate, didn't want to show up. And we still did our jobs, but it was with a very different energy. So I think the workplaces are probably one of the first places where we can begin to incorporate these lessons of weaving in the rest and relaxation and maybe stepping away from that bravado that I think we all kind of have within ourselves, right? Of, no, I can do anything. I can take on anything. I never get tired. I never need to rest. I, I even worked at a summer, I was a director of a summer camp a million years ago. And I remember it was a sleepaway camp that I would have to bring that up to people all the time, that it was really important for them to take rest. Even these teenagers and young adults that were working for me already had it programmed in their mind that only weak people take their time off. Only weak people sit down. Only weak people need time alone. Only weak people need to rest. And so even back then, and especially up until today, it's something that I do feel is important to talk about. And now shifting away from our experience in the work environment and focusing on our personal relationships. How has not prioritizing rest and relaxation 
impacted our relationships. And before you say, everything's fine, (laughs) which is my go-to, before we do that, drop into that question for a moment until it gets uncomfortable. How has not prioritizing rest and relaxation impacted your relationships? And is there a parallel between what you say to yourself about rest and relaxation and what you communicate with the people closest to you. So if you don't allow yourself moments of softness and slowness, do you feel that you're communicating to the people closest to you that they deserve those things too? How would your relationships be different if rest and relaxation were prioritized? And what would that look like? And how have these things impacted our physical health, our mental health, our financial health? If you are a listener of this podcast, then you know that I've explored the topics of imposter syndrome and adult children of alcoholics in several episodes. So let's take a look at that right now. And how does someone who really struggles with imposter syndrome approach rest and relaxation? If you are struggling with it, you know that you are walking around with a certain type of fear, self-consciousness, hypervigilance, always feeling that you are less than in some way, always feeling that everyone else can see the real you and that your mask isn't really hiding who you are and that you have to work extra hard and overtime to just get by. Do you think those people allow themselves to rest and relax? (laughs) Probably not. So it's not about shaming someone for that, but it's about looking at it and saying, wow, if this is something that actually really trips me up in my life and I have these very fixed and damaging beliefs and incorrect beliefs, they're not true. It's just our distorted perception about who I am and what I deserve then maybe this concept of incorporating rest and relaxation is a new muscle that I have to actively build. And I have to work on it the way I would go to the gym and like work on my abs. (laughs) I have to work on incorporating these small moments of rest and relaxation, especially when I feel that I don't deserve it because I walk through this world thinking I don't deserve good things. And then I think about adult children of alcoholics. I am one, and I know all the thoughts that go through my mind that I have to be on 24 hours a day. I have this distorted belief that my hypervigilance and fear and negativity bias are the only things keeping not only me alive, but keeping the entire earth spinning on its axis, (laughs) which... That's wild to think that way, but I'm talking about it here because I know that so many of you listening have similar experiences, and it is important to talk about. I don't let it run my life or control things, but you know, it's probably my first thought that I have anytime I'm facing a situation, and I have to step away from it. And similar to the imposter syndrome, I have to work on that like it is a muscle and develop it and say, 
hey, that's my first thought. That's my wounded child rising up and trying to get their needs met. But I'm not a child anymore and I have agency and I have resources and I can let that thought go. One of the most challenging fixed beliefs of an adult child of an alcoholic is that if we don't know what's going on or if we are not in charge or if we are not fixing something, then something must be terribly wrong. So to look at someone who struggles with that and say, okay, but how are you prioritizing rest and relaxation? It almost sounds as if you are either making fun of them or speaking a different language. So again, this is the work that we get to do to tell ourselves that we don't have to earn it. We don't have to be in a space where we deserve it, that this is something that everyone has access to. And that perhaps the bigger issue is that we weren't taught that this is important. And we weren't taught about a lot of things if we grew up in a home with an alcoholic parent. And so we tend to think that our survival skills are the only things that we need. It's the only thing keeping us going. Because no one really talked to us about thriving skills and how important those are. The emotional intelligence the emotional agility and sobriety, all of those things that as adults we have the opportunity to learn about because as kids we were just trying to keep our head above water. And let's not forget that there is still an incredible amount of stigma attached to rest and relaxation as well as hoops to jump through before we believe that we qualify for it. We live in a society that constantly means tests people, and so we begin to do that to ourselves. And we think, you know, what do I have to do or what line do I have to cross to know that I deserve something? Am I only allowed to carve out time for rest and relaxation when I'm breaking down, when either my physical body is breaking down or I'm having an emotional breakdown? Or I've lost something. And a good way to think about it is, what do we sacrifice when we rest? What are we actually losing? Not our fears, not the thing you know our mind is telling us, but what do we actually lose when we take time to rest? And the flip side of that is, what do we sacrifice when we don't set aside time to rest? And think about your own life for a moment. I have no idea what it is for you. I know what it is for me. When I don't set aside time to rest, I begin to lose things. Things begin to break down. And what does that look like? Is it your relationship or your finances or your thoughts about yourself, your self-esteem, your goals? You know, we all have some false beliefs around what rest and relaxation means. And so I think it's really important to maybe divorce ourselves from what we've been told about it, what society says about it, and really sit with ourselves and say, what does it mean to me? I mean, who else am I accountable to if I am not accountable to myself? And now let's shift into talking about restoration and recreation. And I'm going to encourage you to pause again for a moment and think about what those two concepts look like in your own life. What does restoration look like? 
How does recreation feel? How does it show up? When do you engage in it? Do you only think that restoration is important after a massive breakdown? Do you think that you can only set aside time for recreation after you've done all the serious work and taken care of everyone else's needs? Is it an afterthought? Or is it something that you prioritize in your life? Is it something that keeps us whole and healthy and balanced? Or is it just this one little treat that we allow ourselves on a cheat day? If you've ever participated in any of my groups or workshops, then you know that I often speak about prioritizing these things. Yet, I'm still very human. And while writing the notes for this episode, I found myself coming up against my own blocks. I had a very hard time stepping away from my own programming, which was to go, go, go my whole life and realizing that I was burning myself out. But I still feel shame about setting aside those times to regulate my whole system, to enjoy things, to allow myself to believe that rest, relaxation, recreation, and restoration are actually part of life. They're part of being human. They're not this extra thing I get to do, like taking an antibiotic when you get sick. It's actually something more like drinking water every day and weaving it into our lives. And yet, I know that for the benefit of myself and my relationships and my overall health and wellness, that balance is necessary. Even if it's not something that's just intrinsic to me, if it's not the first place I go to in my mind, I have to continually walk myself back there. And that's something that I'm inviting you to do as you listen to this episode. Maybe take some notes about your own personal script about these four things. And what is your script telling you about rest, relaxation, restoration, and recreation? And how does it affect your physical, mental, and emotional health? And are you treating those things as an afterthought? And how is that working for you? Now, of the four things that I'm talking about in this episode, I actually believe that recreation is the most controversial one, especially as we get older. There's this strange belief that as we mature and age, our recreational activities are almost unacceptable, or we can engage in them, our quote-unquote passions, if they bring us money. We can monetize our creativity or our joy, serve it up for someone else's consumption, and then it's okay. But what about recreation just for the sake of recreation? Because we have these human bodies that need to experience joy. They need childlike play. They need creativity and inspiration. What about that? And what does that look like in your own life? Are you self-conscious about recreation? I know that for me, I actually have a very hard time with that when I talk about something I am truly passionate about. 
And I just sort of go into it and, you know, you light up as you're talking about this thing that brings you so much bliss and takes you to a place of like inspiration and innovation in your own body. And then someone will respond with ways that I can make money off of it. And I don't blame them because I know we're all programmed to do that. I think I'm bringing it up because I'm inviting all of us to maybe step away from that and say, I'm allowed to have these things because I exist. And I don't need to make an excuse for it. And I don't need to get paid by the hour for my recreation and joy. That recreation and joy is necessary for my self-regulation. I show up better for me. I show up better for you when I'm happy and inspired and creating things in my mind and my body is experiencing happiness and I'm physically doing things that I want to do. And there's an aspect of this conversation that I think is really timely and important for so many people right now. And that is that job seekers, people who are currently unemployed, absolutely deserve rest, relaxation, and recreation. And I'm saying that because I know a lot of the people who are listening are currently in a position similar to mine. I have been interviewing nonstop for about 18 months. And I know what that does to me and to my self-esteem and my self-perception. And I'm doing that while I'm also basically working freelance full-time and creating art and creating this podcast on the side. And I know how that has shifted my self-perception because I think I'm only allowed to rest and enjoy life when I finally get the job, when I finally get the offer, oh, when I've finally been in the job for a month because I have to make up for lost time. And just the tricks that we play on ourselves and the way we almost set ourselves up to fail emotionally. So if you are listening to this podcast right now and you have been looking for work, you're on LinkedIn, you're talking to recruiters, you're applying to jobs, you're interviewing, and you feel that you don't deserve downtime, I just want to be the voice that tells you, you absolutely do. And you don't deserve it because you're working so hard to make something happen. You deserve it because you're a human being. You're a person who deserves those moments of rest and relaxation. And you also deserve recreation because our lives are happening in the here and now. Anything could happen tomorrow. We all know that. So it's not about delaying our recreation until someday, until one day. Maybe it's about finding those tiny moments of joy and recreation throughout the day. I was doing some creative writing earlier in the week, as I always do, because that's something that is recreational to me. And something came up that I wanted to share with you because I kept thinking about things breaking down and how we are taught to really muscle through and almost beat ourselves up when things break down and just make it work. And this dedication to this one direction and what it would feel like to maybe take our hands off the wheel for a second and say, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. Maybe I'm doing something that's not serving me. And so what I wrote was this, if something in our lives is continually breaking down and always seems on the verge of falling apart, maybe we should just let it. 
Sometimes I think the aha moment occurs when we stop evaluating our strengths and skills by how hard we can work to fix things, how proficient we are at foreseeing problems, or how skilled we are at playing emotional and intellectual chess, and instead appreciate how gracefully we can let things go. I've always said that I don't know how God uses me, but if I really believe that, then I also don't know how God uses other people or things in my life. Maybe God uses breakage and breakdowns to teach me that it's okay to not evaluate my worth through my ability to fix or repair what does not want to be repaired. Maybe God taps into my human weakness and limits to teach me about the discerning power of letting go instead of the draining experience of muscling through. I found an old book called Drop the Rock while I was packing some things up this week, doing my little ritual of creating keep and toss piles. And I opened it to a quote that was pretty perfect. And I thought that some of you would align with it. It said, Authenticity is being true to a vision and purpose. We are authentic when we choose to act and feel and choose to behave in balance with the higher values and principles we've chosen for our lives. If those principles and values are not fully in place and manifested, it doesn't make us phony. It makes us human. If we feel the conflict between who we are and who we would become, it's good. It signals that we understand the difference between reality and fantasy and are moving toward reality. Sometimes we have to get a little lost to find ourselves again. We've got to die a little in order to be born again. Confusion and tension often lead to surprising redirection and inspiration. And it's the sharing of that experience with others that creates unexpected trust and connection. And as Frank Ostaseski always says, welcome everything, push away nothing. I really hope that you felt that this episode was an invitation to walk towards rest, relaxation, restoration, and recreation. And I hope that there is some room for inspiration, creativity, and joy in your week ahead. And until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider making a small monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.